0: Thank you, Frida. I'm going to invite Peter to come up now, and he's going to speak to us. So let's pray for Peter now. Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, because to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, we know the special part that children and families have In your heart. And so we pray for Peter now as he comes to speak to us. And to speak of the ways in which adopter child are reaching out with love, care, and support. So guide Peter by your Holy Spirit, we pray. And help us to hear your word for us today, the call to love your children. Amen. Good morning.
1: I'm having to be very careful today because I've got so many things hung around my ears, what with glasses and masks and uh, the uh, the microphone. We just heard the, the story of the Transfiguration, And it's one that I think a lot of people don't ignore, but don't really think very much about. And yet, it shows us the true nature of Jesus. It also fulfills prophecy. The story in Luke is slightly... uh, it's slightly different from the stories in Mark and in Matthew, because uh, both Mark and Matthew expand a little bit uh, about it. Um, and they, they describe, they ask, you know, wasn't Elijah supposed to come before the end? And Jesus says to them, Elijah did come. And that's to fulfill the prophecy that's in Malachi where both Moses and Elijah are cited right at the very end. It's the last couple of verses of the Old Testament. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And Jesus equates Elijah with John the Baptist. And he basically says, John came, Elijah came, and you ignored him. But he showed them the glory that was his by right. He showed them that he was not as ordinary man. I think they'd already probably got an inkling of that anyway. But uh, I love in the stories... And a lot of the stories, particularly about Peter. Um, Now, I don't know whether it's because I'm carrying the same name, but I I sort of, I do uh, sympathise with him quite a lot um, because uh, I seem to have quite a lot of his traits, um, you know, foot in mouth, um, generally sort of rushing in where I shouldn't, saying things I maybe oughtn't to. And when they went up the mountain and and Jesus started praying, just as at the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, they started falling asleep. My wife says to me sometimes, when we we may be watching TV, I may be reading, and all of a sudden I just sort of go, and I'm gone. And she says, wake up, you're turning into an old man. And I feel like saying to her, well, yes, I think 70 years gives me the entitlement to act like an old man. But they fell asleep. And then they saw this transfigured Jesus, this changed Jesus. And they use different terms to describe how he's changed. Um, Luke's uh, version of it says, it was like a flash of lightning. He looked like a flash of lightning. Uh, Mark describes it as being so bright it was like no bleach you could possibly find. It always reminds me of those adverts that were around when I was a young man uh, talking about Omo and Daz being able to get things really white. I thought, yeah, what you need is a good transfiguration. But that allowed them to see him for who he was. Not just a prophet, but the Son of God. Somebody whom Moses and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, according to the, uh, according to the Hebrews, they came to speak with Jesus, who was changed before them. As I was saying to the children, it's like a pair of specks. I don't know what, for those of you who are wearing glasses in the congregation, I don't know what you wear them for, but me, I have astigmatism, which means that, for me, everything, at any distance, is slightly blurry. But I put my glasses on, and all of a sudden, everything is in sharp focus. And that's what the transfiguration is. It brings Jesus into sharp focus for us, as it did for the disciples so that we know who we serve. Not just a great man, not just a prophet, but the son of the living God, God himself, part of the Holy Trinity. We serve an awesome God. Those who've heard me speak before, you you probably realize I use the word awesome an awful lot. It's because we serve an awesome God. That's awesome in the full sense of the word. Somebody who makes you full of awe, full of wonder, full of fear as well. Awe. It's not a word we use often nowadays, but it's one we need to use for God. Because he is to be feared. He is to be loved. He is to be worshipped. He is. And Jesus is the human face of God that we interact with. And the story of the transfiguration just brings it down to earth. Focuses us on the fact that he is the son of God. With the message of hope and salvation. And that's the message we have to share with everyone we meet. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter when, we've got to be ready. It may be down the pub for those of you who drink. Uh, I keep forgetting I'm in a, in a Methodist church where nobody is supposed to drink. Or that's how it was when I was being brought up, anyway. Might be down in the shop. I don't know if I've told you the story here, but I was once in Tesco's, our local Tesco's in Macclesfield, and um, I was at the uh, the fruit and veg counter, and I was taught by my mum you always check your fruit and your vegetables. And I was there, and I just picked up a lettuce. You know, it was just an ordinary lettuce in one of the plastic bags. And I'm not a very trusting sort of person, so I sort of, I had it to my nose, sniffing at it to see whether there was any rot. I was turning it over to see what colour the cut stem was. Was it a pale orange or was it dark brown? In which case it was going back in there. And while I was doing that, someone came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder. And my first thought was, hey, the manager doesn't like what I'm doing with his vegetables. But when I turned around, it was somebody I'd never seen before. And he said to me, I've seen you around at church. He said, why do you go to church? My first inclination was to be very British and say, sorry, I I just don't want to talk about it here and now. My second inclination was to think, no, no, that's a bit cowardly. To say to him, let's go and have a cup of coffee somewhere. And I thought, no. So I just turned to him and I said, I go to church because I worship the living God. I worship Jesus and he's my savior. I've never seen anybody move so fast before in my life. But for all I know, that may be the only time he ever heard anybody say, I worship the living God. We have to be ready to share our love of Jesus. We have to be ready, wherever, whenever. As Paul puts it in his second letter to Timothy, in season and out of season. We just have to be ready, whenever, wherever, to talk about Jesus and the hope of salvation that he brings. And that's what I want to do now when we talk about what's been happening with the doctor child. Obviously, over the last two years, things have been pretty, um, pretty odd over there, just as here. Um, I know I shared with you on YouTube a few of the things that have been happening back then, but in the two years, lots has changed. Uh, we're going to start with uh, with Albania um, because when the um, when the when the pandemic started, we had four programmes running in Albania. Um, And we were also working in a few other villages up in the high mountains. We now have 10 programs working in Albania. Because God just moved people's hearts and they wanted to hear what we had to offer. They also wanted what we had to offer physically. But the response has been incredible out in Albania. And this is one of the villages where we've been delivering... um, Parcels of food because just as over here we had to shut down all our programs, teaching programs, uh, because they classified as youth work and therefore they were shut. Just as churches were. So instead of having the kids come into us and feeding them um, at the programs, we were taking out parcels of food to the families. And actually, that is the pattern that we're going to use from now on because it's been incredibly effective. But whenever we turn up with the, with the parcel of food, people are there. And as you can see, they're gathering around because they need it. And it doesn't matter how old they are. Um, these are two guys from the village of Homesh. Uh, they're both in the 30s. So they both have special needs. They've been on the programs there for nearly 20 years. And they'll stay on the programs as long as they need us. So it's, although it's adopted child, it's adopted all the way through. Um, As you can see, sometimes the weather there is a little bit inclement. Um, We don't seem to be having as much snow as we did uh, when I was a lad. When (laughs) I were a lad. It's funny, there was a documentary on fairly recently, I don't know whether you saw it, about 1963. um, The winter of 63, when there was something like uh, 10 weeks of solid snow and ice. Uh, And I actually remember that. We couldn't get out of our home because the road... Our road was totally blocked, six feet in snow, and because it was a side road, nobody came to clear it. So we had to walk out across the fields. But that's what they get in Albania every year. But it's not stopped us taking out the food parcels to the kids and to the families who need it. Sometimes we even deliver things like goats. Uh, that was actually um, a present for one of the children. Um, their sponsor decided, uh, I-, I want to give them a special present. So um, we asked the family, what would you like? And the answer came back, a goat. Not the usual sort of thing you get asked for over here, but out in Albania, they wanted a goat. So we got them a goat. So we now have 10 support programmes children and their families, plus we have support programs for women in need as well. Um, that's something that over the past f- three, four years has expanded considerably. Um, we started in Guatemala with just, um, just a few widows um, and elderly ladies who needed help, and we've now expanded that program because in both Guatemala and Albania, um, there's very little support for anyone um, who has no family. Um, in Guatemala, for instance, um, during the, this uh, pandemic, uh, people have been advised, if they have no food, uh, go and sit on a street corner waving a white flag, and hopefully someone will give you some food. If you have medical needs, wave a red flag. I know that there have been, um, over here, people have sort of, with the government government's response, they've, they've thought, well... Maybe they are not been doing a good job. Folks, compared to what's been happening in Guatemala and Albania, we have had it easy. And what's happened? This is one of the programmes that's open. This is uh, opened in... That's uh, in Elbasan, And as you can see, the kids are flocking to it. Uh, they lifted their restrictions much earlier than we did. Um, It's a much more sparsely populated country um, so that they haven't had the same problems in terms of transmission as we've had. Um, We've run summer camps for kids. It's something we've wanted to do for quite a time, but um, our leaders out in Albania have never had the funds to do it uh, until this year when one of our supporters in Ireland just came to us and said, "Uh, here's £7,000 do what you want with it. And we said, great. So we had kids' programs running, um, kids' camps running in Albania, and we actually ran, ran, I think it was 12 in in total. And those 12 camps and um, and the conference that came at the end of it, there were over 30 kids who came to accept Jesus into their lives. Uh, and I can't help but think that those kids are a fantastic result, fantastic reserve, return on an investment of £7,000. Would that it was always like that. What's been happening in Guatemala? Much the same. Except in Guatemala, things are still bad. Um, less than half of the population have had first vaccination. Um, they had uh, problems getting vaccine in the first place. They'd ordered um, something like 8 million doses from Russia which and paid for them, uh, and they weren't delivered for about three months. Um, They had some 3 million doses coming from the States. They're starting to catch up. Uh, But you have the situation where in the mountains, for instance, in the remote areas, The people there are mostly the indigenous um, Amerindian people who were there before the Spanish came. Uh, The Spanish came, conquered them, uh, wiped out an awful lot of them with things like measles and mumps and smallpox, uh, then continued to wipe them out if they were on the land that the Spanish wanted. They just got pushed further and further into the mountains. They do not trust the government with the result that many of the villages are refusing to be vaccinated because they think it's a plot by the government to kill them off, which is a pretty appalling state of affairs. There was a case just three months ago where two nurses were actually kidnapped when they went to a village and they were held. Uh, the the villagers destroyed all the vaccine that they'd fetched with them uh, and the army had to come and negotiate for them to be released bit of an extreme case but that's happened in a lot of villages. They've refused to be vaccinated. So the the problem there is ongoing. I just want to share a bit about the poverty levels um, in Guatemala. Seventy per cent of Guatemalans live below the international poverty line and fifty eight percent live in extreme poverty. That's the international poverty level which is well below the poverty level we accept here. Malnutrition. Just under 50% of Guatemalan children chronically malnourished. That's why a lot of Guatemalans are short. It's not because it's genetic. It's because in the first five years of their life they do not have enough nourishment for them to grow properly. So you end up with whole generations of people who stand about this tall. In the areas where we're working where the kids are getting the nutrition they need. You look back on photographs of parents, grandparents and the kids. Grandparents about this tall, parents about that tall, kids up here. And it's simply because they're getting the nutrition they need in the first years of life. So that's why 44% of Guatemalan children suffer from stunted growth, 58% in the indigenous communities, which is where we're working. Guatemala City, I know I've probably told you this before. At the moment, it's standing at number three in the world for the most murderous city in the world. Um, when we were out there a few years ago in May, um, we weren't able to go into the into Guatemala City because there was so much unrest, um, and there had been 5,000 murders in those first five months of the year. Um, and that, unfortunately, is not too unusual. A lot of it is because of um, drug gang warfare, um, and you also have the fact that there was 36 years of civil war. So you've got a whole, a whole couple of generations of guys who, when something go, when the gangs start coming in, they don't sit back. They just grab their uh, AK-47s and they, they patrol their streets. Adult literacy, seventy-five percent, second lowest in the Western Hemisphere. Indigenous women's literacy, thirty percent. Education for women in, in, in the mountains in Guatemala almost non-existent. The family's f- first priority is, if anyone's going to get educated, it's the boys, then the girls. Which is the way of the world, I'm, I'm afraid. Just like uh, over here, when, um, when lockdown came, we had to start working from home. So all the office staff were working from home, um, just as we did. Uh, but those who were normally going out, um, being pastors and evangelists, they, um, they still carried on working, but what they were doing was making up food parcels uh, to be taken out to the families. Uh, sometimes that meant driving up into the mountains, um, and they'd be driving along, and suddenly someone would just pop out of the undergrowth, and they'd provide them with, uh, with the food parcels. We've also opened a program now that we're calling Agua Biba, which is where we drill wells um, because water is a distinct problem in in a lot of Guatemala. They have heavy rainfall during the rainy season and then no rain during the dry season. Uh, And a lot of the places in the mountains, they rely on rivers and streams which dry up. So we're putting in wells. Um, If there isn't an aquifer close by, then we're laying down... um, we're laying down water pipes so that we can provide water to different communities. Um, health and safety doesn't seem to be a, a particular issue out there, as you'll notice from, from that. Um, how are we going to get this pipe up? Oh, it's all right, I'll stand on the top and you know just pass it up. But they get the job done. And now there is free running water for the whole community. And that there is where they were putting up, uh, they put a plaque just to say thank you. We have the UNID project, which is designed to help um, kids with special needs. So we provide um, extra help for families, we provide teaching, we provide nurses, um, whatever they may need, wheelchairs, so that they can live a more normal life. Um, Christmas, we went out with the Christmas gifts as usual. And uh, as you can see, smiles on their faces. These may be the only gifts they get. Um, some Some of our kids are a little bit older, you may notice. But we take them out anyway. And when we're providing these gifts, I can't say how much it affects me when I see the way that people react to getting a bag of groceries. We're taking people a bag of groceries and it's as if we're giving them the Holy Grail. The reaction is just awesome. But while we're out giving these gifts of pastors out, we're still talking about Jesus, still preaching the gospel, Because the two have to go hand in hand. Because it doesn't matter how well fed they are, if they haven't got Jesus in their lives, they have nothing. So we give them the food and we talk to them about Jesus. And we have found that just like in Albania, people respond to the gospel message. When you have no hope and someone provides you with an option of hope, You'll take it And normally at Christmas, we have all the kids come down and they'll have a big, big party. You know there'll be two or three thousand kids crammed into uh, into one of our big feeding programs. Um, this time we couldn't do that because of the uh, government restrictions. So we went out with the trucks and we plastered up on the side, you know, uh, Felice Navidad um, told kids the, the gospel story, the story of the Nativity, who this Jesus is, because many of them, they've never heard of Jesus. They don't know why he came. They don't know who he was, what he did for them. Because although it's supposedly a Christian Catholic country, most of the people up in the mountains, know nothing or very little about Jesus. In fact, we're about to open our 11th program in Guatemala in a town called Chichicastanango. I have to practice that. Chichicastanango. But that is actually the center of the old Mayan worship, which still goes on. This church that you see there That has 17 steps going up to the entrance. 17 is a holy Mayan number. On those steps are shaman who will bless the gifts that people are going to take in to lay on the altars to the Guatemalan gods up the centre aisle of that church. I've seen it. There are nine altars up the main aisle of that church. And they're still used on a daily basis. It's the centre of the Mayan worship. And that is where we're opening our 11th programme. We've already encountered resistance. And we expect to encounter more. But that is an area that needs the light of Christ to shine into that town. So that's why we're going there. Because in the end... It's about the people. It's about sharing their joys and their sorrows and just being there for them. That picture there, I'm I'm pretty sure that at the time, Steve shouldn't have been doing that. He should not have been hugging that lady with the mask off. I think it was probably against the law. But she needed that touch of love because she just lost her husband to COVID um, and she was just totally devastated. She had no one left, no one at all. So she went on to our program, so we, we're looking after her now. And right now we've got about 4,000 children and women in need, which actually includes men as well, but women in need sounds better than men in need because... We don't associate men needing anything, do we? They need their lives changing. Not just with food, but they need their lives changing because of the gospel of Christ. They need to know Jesus because that is what we're all about. Will you help to change their lives? I know quite a few of you here already are and I thank you for that. And if you're not, why not? Cost costs 60p a day. If you haven't got 60p a day, we'll take whatever you give because we've got plenty of things that you can support apart from children and women. And then you can change the world one child at a time.
0: So thank you very much for listening and bless you all.